microphone's Madden. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. You shall have my axe. Yes. Today we are talking Legend by David Gemmel, a British fantasy writer. Uh, what year was this published, Steve? 86. This story was originally drafted as, as a metaphor for cancer. Yeah, he was... Um... I don't know if he had been diagnosed. He was awaiting a diagnosis, correct? I believe so. And um, to while away the time and prevent himself from going like completely crazy, he decided to write a novel. Mm-hmm. And later, a friend of his read the novel, read the draft of the novel, and said, "You know, you really need to finish this." Right. Cleaned and it so up. Cleaned it up, and then Maybe published it as Legend. Yeah. Apparently, the it's like completely different from the first draft the the first draft was really derivative mm. and uh this is less so um people consider it what heroic fantasy yes an offshoot of sword and sorcery mm-hmm. um but there's not really a lot of of sorcery in this so it's kind of got it's kind of got a, a blend of high fantasy and sword and sorcery Mm -hmm. going for it. Right. And this was published at a time when everybody and their brother who was writing fantasy were writing these 10 book epics. This was around the same time uh, Robert Jordan was doing Wheel of Time. (laughs) And things like that. Derivative. Right. And and so this one was... David Eddings was doing his... uh, In the middle of his two book epic... Or, you know, two-series epic um, Pawn of Prophecy thing. Right. And this was really thought to have breathed some life back into the genre of fantasy as it was a standalone book. He wrote several books called the Draenei series, but they were all about different characters. Right, and they took place in different time periods, too. It's it's uh-huh. it's um, These characters never show up again, except maybe in passing. Like, right, um, like Druss... Met- Drush shows up because he did a prequel. Ah, well, there you go. Um, of course, of course, he did. Right. <laughs> one of the other things that stands out about this book is that it was one of the first fantasy car- uh, stories to feature an older protagonist at the end of his career. The titular legend. Yes, Drush the Axeman. Um, very, in in some ways, reminiscent of uh, Phoenix on the Sword. The way Howard started Conan at the toward the end of Conan's career. That's that's true. That was uh, the first Conan story was a King Conan story, which is like the twilight of his his career. Um, you know, it can be argued that the Lord of the Rings is uh, everyone but the Hobbits are in the twilight of their careers as well. Um, yeah, true. You know, the, the Aragorn's like 150 years old or something in that. It's, you know, in Gandalf's timeless, but you know, at the end of that, most of the main characters go off to their just rewards. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, but as opposed to all of those other characters, Druss is a soldier. Right. Totally derivative now. <laughs> right. They've done. They've had old people before. It's nothing new. Sorry. Just. just <laughs> it is very rare. Yes, it's not. It's not typical for the genre. Even right. even like like the the big hitters in the genre, like uh, you know, at this time you would think it would be uh, 
Farvard and the Gray Mauser, mm-hmm. always like youthful. Even Elric, he he's even when he's like quote retired, he's still a young guy, right? That sort of thing. Now, and Druss is, I believe, sixty. Yeah, Druss is like sixty, arthritic. He's right. He's definitely when he when he shows up in actuality, you know, he's like he has to make a decision between puttering around on a mountain for the rest of his life and being unhappy or going out in a blaze of glory. Right. And uh, he, he's very quick to go with blaze of glory. Option now, B, please. Right. Now, as as we were going through this book, you know, I've, I've found several similarities between uh, the Alamo, uh, particularly with the, the film with John Wayne, where he's playing an older Davy Crockett. Um, never saw that. I think it's, no, it's I can't it. stand John Wayne. I'll go on record saying that. Fuck yeah. John Wayne. I think I've it's seen, a, I think it's a Disney film. I've seen like two John Wayne films, The Searchers mm-hmm. and maybe The Searchers twice. Right. <laughs> I really don't like John Wayne. The researchers. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the only reason I watched The Searchers is because everyone said it had so much influence on George Lucas and Star Wars because there's one scene that's framed from a doorway. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's a scene in the searchers where um, the what's going on is outside, mm-hmm. but the camera is inside, and you're looking through a doorway at it. Right. Which they use in um, on the moisture farm at one point in A New Hope. That same setup where something's going on outside, and you see the action through a doorway. That's it. I watched that stupid fucking racist film because. Someone said it influenced Star Wars. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Conversation grinds to a halt. That's how crappy the yeah. is. Okay, yeah. so you were saying it reminds you of the Alamo. It reminds me of the Alamo. It, it also kind of reminds me of uh, Seven Samurai. Yeah, it's definitely got... It's it, The book is about a siege. Mm-hmm. You have this impossible force um, is bearing down on the... the protagonist's kingdom or empire it's an empire right 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 the Drenai, the Drenai empire is kind of i would say equivalent to rome yeah they're 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 an old empire and they're like kind of on their way down they're it's kind of funny because they're in their nadir of their or nadra of their um of their lifespan as an empire. Mm-hmm. And that's the name of the barbarian horde that's coming to like, to take over. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly analogs to the Mongolians. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Yeah. So you have this, this, and they come down at this one point, which is a, a, you know, this impossible fortress. It's, it's like, it's just the best constructed fortress ever. Mm-hmm. It's also the only way that a force that large can actually get into the country, right? From yeah. from the from the north, from the north. Dross Denok, yes, is the name of the fortress, right? Uh, just to describe it a little bit, it has little shades of uh, what is it? Helm's Deep. Yeah, it, I, it, you could go with my, minus Cherith, but it's definitely got that Helm's Deep feel because it's like a total siege. Yeah. And there, there are several fantasy novels that go with siege, but you know this this really works that angle. There's very little action until 
like the final quarter of the book. This whole book is about a siege. It mm-hmm. really, it, it literally is like about a siege. There's a small amount of buildup to get there, um, to get all the characters in place. And then it's just siege. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's about fortifying the the defense, tra- training the, the troops, right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's what it is. Right. It's the uh, castle of a particular earl. That's his is his domain. Um, but militarily, he has to defer to an officer who happens to be like the king's nephew or something like that. Yeah. The emperor's nephew. Right. And he's not very good at his job. Yeah. So I, I will say that the character arcs, although they are fairly predictable, mm-hmm. they are interesting. Right. I I did think that the characters were pretty much normal people by and large. Well, by and large, except for like Dress. Right. Dress is larger than life. And Wreck. And Wreck is a little larger than life. Um, Bowman. Bowman's definitely larger than life. Yes. And he likes it that way. Yes. But when you you get to the perspectives of the individual soldiers, guys like uh, Hogan and, and some of the other, other, just soldiers there that he focuses on. Even Hogan's a little bit, a bit, little bit above the common clay. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why, you know, these guys lasted as long as they did throughout the course of the book. Right. But, but you definitely have like that, that farmer perspective with like Gillis and, mm-hmm. uh, and his buddy. Right. And then, so what happens is the Earl is, Everyone, everyone in the country knows that the deer are coming, right? And they've known for a while, right? Uh, because there was a uh, treaty signed mm-hmm. that the deer just said "fuck you." Yeah, and they decided to come on down. The Earl, knowing that they were coming, the Emperor of the Draenei did not reinforce the the fortress of Drostenok, right? Because he thought he had a deal, right? He thought he had a deal, um, but. Everybody that's closer to the Nadir know that, hey, yeah, the Nadir are going to come. You know, we need we need help. They are woefully, the entire country is woefully under underprepared for this war. So one of the officers closer to the capital has to amass an army. And the Earl is, and the uh, commanding officer's name is Orin. They are charged with the defense and to hold off till autumn. Yeah, hold off until the reinforcements come. And right. it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while, but it'll happen. Um, and yeah, the, the, you you just had they just got done or recovering from a war with a with a neighboring empire, right? Um, they, they're the ones that supply all the wine, <laughs> the Lentrian, Lentrian red, <laughs> and and they. I, I guess the emperor must be kind of a crappy politician mm. because you know. If if the Nader are have this reputation for being like uncivilized and um, backstabbing, any treaty you make with them, it, it's only going to last as long as as they want it to to last. Right. So it, it was a little naive in the first place to to let it come to this. Right. And so the the people of Drostelnok are trying to do the best they can. The okay. Earl sends his daughter to uh send bring a couple of letters uh one to the the emperor to let him know what's actually going on and then to visit 
a society of warrior priests called the 30. Right. And don't forget the, the missive to Dross. Yes. Well, he sent that separate. Uh, the, 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 the Earl sent a personal letter to Dross the Axeman. You know, he's like, look, I know you're old, but, you know, it would really mean a lot to me if you showed up, you know, at least to just kind of stand around. Right. You're, you're the hero of 15 years ago battle of something pass. Right. Um, and you're, Skelm you're, pass. Yeah, you've never lost a war. You've never lost a battle. Um, people think you're, you're a legend. And your present, your mere presence would boost everybody's spirits. Mm-hmm. And goddamn, they need that. <laughs> right. <laughs> because not only is it undermanned, but it's in terrible shape. Mm-hmm. Morale is low. Uh, nobody likes Oren because Oren is, he's, he's a peacetime officer. He's concerned with things like, you know, is your uniform proper? You know, do you stand correctly in your drills? He's not really concerned about having a fighting force there. And and really the only reason he's there is uh, you get the feeling that the emperor kind of had to put him somewhere. So put him out of the way. Right. So he kind of gave him a cushy job. Because he had a treaty. Right. <clears throat> so everybody knows that the Nadir are coming and it's a losing proposition. It's half a million men versus at most 10,000. Right. And and that and they're bleeding people left and right. Right. They're um, bleeding people. There are deserters. Uh one of the first characters we meet has nothing to do with anything is a fellow named Wreck. Yes. Wreck um is a former soldier. Right. Who is a, a coward and decided that he would rather keep himself alive by by avoiding conflict right. than, than um than defending his country, which is fine. Um, right. I feel the same way. <laughs> right. He's not really a conscientious objector. He just doesn't want to get pulled in. He is kind of a conscientious objector, but he just likes living too much. And, right. And, and so, the thing is, like, he, he's good. He's, he's by all accounts, he's a fine swordsman and a fine soldier. And when he left, people were actually curious as to why. Right. And a good leader. Yeah, and he never said because I'm a coward. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always oh, there's something going on back home. Um, he also and, um, hides a secret that we find out fairly early in the book that he is a berserker, right? Because he's a coward. Mm-hmm. That that it's almost like he he just has goes into berserk rages, and because he's already a skilled swordsman, regardless, he going berserk only improves his skills, right? But he wants everybody to believe that he's just a coward. And I, 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 I don't really think he's a coward. I think he just doesn't want to give in to the, the bear sark. It as could they be. Call it. It, it could be. Um, because the first time it manifests, he's really upset that it did. Yeah, but I think it freaks him out a little bit. Um, but he also does go out of his, well, that could be just what you're saying. He goes out of his way to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you definitely come to find out that he's good enough that he could, you know, he holds his own even in, in um, hard odds. I won't say impossible odds, but hard odds. Mm-hmm. He can hold his own. Right. But he's going the opposite way. That's he's right. The, the invaders are coming in from the north. I'm going to go south. <laughs> yes. that's And that's where it opens up is him. Um, it's kind of creepy because he he's, sleeps with this uh, woman at an inn 
who is basically his foster sister. Right. <laughs> kind of creepy. And he does so regularly. Yeah. Everybody's aware of it. Yes. <laughs> Almost put the, the book down right there when I fell. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost. Uh, so, yeah, so he, he's... Wreck is heading south. He's going through... He has to go through the woods where there's a well-known bandit that he... he he personally knows very well. Right. And he's more than willing to sell out caravans for, for uh safe passage, path, safe passage. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of person he starts out as he's, he's, he's kind of a rogue, mm-hmm. but not a, uh, he doesn't have a conscience as a rogue, like um, Han Solo does. Right. He's not a gentleman rogue. He's just a fucking rogue. Well, he's a he's a rogue that pretends to be a gentleman rogue. Yeah, that's his that's his ad his 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 attitude. Is, right. You know he is. You might not be a hero, but you look like one. <laughs> it's true. Which is you know he's he's impeccably he likes to be impeccably dressed because you always have to look good when you leave town. Right. You know he he has he's has skills with a sword. He's and he heads out into the woods. After hearing a prophecy. After hearing a prophecy. That, saying the usual prophecy crap from that you'll meet a girl and you'll right. rule. But uh it, and it all has to do with that dream you had last night. Right. Which is already kinda kinda eerie because he hadn't even said anything to anyone about that dream. Yes. So yeah, there's magic in this, but it's kind of light light magic. It's really more psionics. Right, it's like uh, yeah, far seeing and stuff like that. Yeah, you get to a little more proper magic later, but even yeah. then, it's yeah, even then it's, it's it's definitely more of a mental a mental thing than a uh, spell thing. Right. Yeah. So on, on his way out down south, he uh, comes across a woman who is getting attacked by vagabonds, mm-hmm. raiders, bandits, and. Uh, Against his better judgment, he decides to help her out. Right. And now she's pretty handy with a sword herself. Yes. Which is what kind of triggers him deciding to help her because, you know, yeah, she's handy, but she's about to die. Right. It was, uh, what, three on one? Yeah, it was three on one. He He didn't like the odds, so he decided to even the odds. But he's not as good a shot with an arrow as he thinks he is. Right. So he um, he gets a low damage shot on his first roll, yeah. and on his second roll, he rolls a natural twenty and drops one of the guys. The young lady dispatches the other two handily, and they they have their meet cute. And at first, they absolutely hate each other. He tries to be all mercenary, right? Like I saved your life, you know. Yeah. So fucking what? <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, well, it's very important. I get you know get to such and such a place. You know, let me let me. Buy your horse. I'm not no. selling you my horse. No. And it turns out that the bandits that were accosting her were the men of the guy that controls these woods. And if if he if if, if he's implicated in their deaths, he'll end up dying as well. Right. One of the, one of the men happens to be the leader's brother. Yes. And the leader also happens to have um, a psionic um, sorcerer assistant. Who immediately says, "Oh, it was wreck." <laughs> right. The girl 
and uh, your old buddy Wreck was there. He he killed one of your guys. Did he now? Why would he do such a thing? <laughs> right. Long story short, uh, they they have to throw in with each other mm-hmm. uh, when the bandit uh, king uh, brings his entire force down on them. Right. Um, and the, the, and he stands up to them, which is is great. But really, the the turning point is um, apparently there's been some talk of mutiny, not huge amounts of it, but just a low key talk of what the fuck am I doing here by some of um, the bandits lieutenants mm-hmm. and uh, the, the a different psionic who we'll get to in a second nudges that argument to the forefront during this confrontation and uh the guy the bandit's buddy just, just turns around and kills him yep and then leaves yep and then leaves we weren't supposed to be doing this slice <laughs> see ya so right and meanwhile that was the 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 priests of the 30 yes who are an elite elite fighting force um uh, very uh jedi like yeah they are warrior priests who um, possess mental powers. Mm-hmm. They can um, they can invade other people's minds. They can see, you know, they're clairvoyant. Right. They can travel astrally. Yeah. No, not and, and like like we were saying, it's not like these huge things. They can't like in battle, they can't shoot fireballs. No. But they can see possible futures and they know uh, the most likely outcomes of any given situation, right? Which makes them master strategists. Yes, and and they hone their bodies to the peak of combat perfection. Yes, and she is um, on her way to hire them mm-hmm. to help defend the fortress. Which is which is also interesting because we get a, a little insight into this order, and there are only thirty of them. Yeah, at any given time, and what they do is they will hire themselves out. To a cause that they find worthy, and they know it's worthy because they can read minds. Right. Um, you have to be. You have to be worthy to ask, and it has to be a worthy cause. And they go specifically to be cannon fodder. You know, kill as many as the enemy as possible. But it's okay. We don't fear death at all. We will sacrifice ourselves. And one of them is appointed the new abbot, and they take the money that they charged, and they start a new group of 30 right which is which is a really interesting little tidbit that they threw in there it is probably the coolest part of the world building um in this book Mm -hmm. yeah well most of most of the world building is pretty typical fantasy stuff uh overall the tone is 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 grim and kind of gritty uh very very macho uh, almost 300 yeah kind of it, it, that's another one of the things that it reminded me of is the 300 without and, the, the CGI abs, without, right? Without the CGI abs, these guys actually wore armor rather than clouts and capes. Hey man, that was Sparta <laughs> or I'm sorry. That was Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> so all of the pieces are assembling at Dross Delna. Yeah. See the thing about this, this book, it's a uh, like three, 300, little over 300 pages long mm. and it's really about the siege and the, the build up to the siege and the siege itself and there's not a whole hell of a lot going on in the 
in the world that's intricate. It's 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 very event driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no overarching plots. There's a couple plots, but they're not like no. It's it's very know. straightforward. Yeah, I mean, it's like this is the narrative, and it goes it goes back and forth a lot. Mm-hmm. So you'll have um, it's almost like a, a chess game between uh, people of equal skill because the bad guys will do something and that's countered by the good guys. And just when you think they've won the day, the bad guys will slip in and do something else. And, and the whole book kind of does that. Um, and it, it's a matter of attrition with that because it just gets to the point where at the climax of the book, it's the same thing. The, the, the good guys have just scored a major victory and then it all comes crashing down around them. Um, and then something else happens that reverses that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really how, like, how the book is written. It's just, it's this big wave. Yep, it's uh, just ebb and flow, ebb and flow. And he shifts, char- Gimmel shifts characters' perspectives so much. Yeah. So we see the events of this happening through many different eyes. Right, and and it it, it works. It actually works. I don't think there's another way you could have told this story um, without doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but for example, uh, there's a traitor in the fortress, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, they they want to take out uh, Dress because he's Dress. He's Dress. And the 30 who aren't there yet know this, but they can, mm-hmm. can't do anything about it because their access to the people in the fortress is being blocked by the um, Nader's um, shaman. Right. So uh dress barely survives this this assault on his life right and and you think that oh oh my god they they you know they narrowly escaped that's great and then um one of the 30 says there's another traitor <laughs> right <laughs> there's another traitor there's another right. traitor and, and there's all it's 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 kind of like what Qui-Gon said it's always a bigger fish. It's always a bigger fish, and, and that's how the story goes. And it's 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 kind of frustrating uh, because because it just all the twists become kind of predictable, and you could tell oh he's writing it one way, and then oh there we go right. And that, that kind of it, it was kind of uh it was kind of disappointing. Uh, and the one that's the that's the bad part about having clairvoyant characters is that. You know, you you write their prophecy, and you they tell you that there's a traitor, and he's going to kill, attempt to kill Druss. But I can't tell exactly. But I can't tell is. when or where or who it is. Well, no, the, the the first one he did, he was like, oh, they're going to poison his wine, right? <laughs> or drug him, one or the other. It's going right. to be wine. But the second one was like, oh, I saw somebody else, but I don't know who it is, right? But you know that. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I can under and he he effectively made excuses for that. There's this shaman on the opposite side who's actively trying to block the thirty from doing their thing, right? Because the leader Ulrich of the Nadir, he has good intelligence. That's that's kind of the interesting thing about it is, like you said before, that everybody is of equal skill, and it is it is a contest of equals. Ulrich is one of the most brilliant generals of the age. And, right. you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, and, and Gimmel gives us the perspective of the siege from his point of view. Right. And, and you could tell 
even though there's like this huge animosity, we're trying to destroy your your empire. Um, right. That all of the combatants have the major combatants mm-hmm. have respect for their their opposites. Right. Um, now there's a few who don't. There's like some, and they're all they're all, of course they're all the the quote unquote bad guys. Um, there's the one, the me, the messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, who who tells Dress, you know, just give up. We won't hurt you. Just let us in and we'll forget everything. I, I kind of like that initial exchange. Right. And and Dress insults <laughs> the shit out of him. Tells him like, he tells him to go fuck himself. Right. And go tell, I hope to see you on the wall, fat boy. Go tell Ulrich to go fuck himself. And uh, he, at, at at the end, that he, he, you know, he takes the time to taunt Dress, you know, out of spite. Mm-hmm. Which no one, no other characters are like that. There's a, there's a few confrontations, direct confrontations between um, Druss and and or Wreck and Ulrich, and they always treat each other with with the utmost respect. You know, these are these are you know the game masters who are who are you mm-hmm. know right. They they are very they are very civil and cordial, and you know you're thinking to yourself, it's like. As you're reading and you read Ulrich, you wonder, well, you know, it might not be so bad if they lose. I mean, yeah, he's got this reputation, but it's a reputation he manufactured to right. make his job easier. Right. And, and the other thing is that the the good guys know that. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he, he slew every third soldier and blah, blah, blah on the last place they, they conquered. And they left the one guy alive, you know, that, that trope mm-hmm. to, to tell the story. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and all, and, uh, just was like, of course they did that. I mean, that's his story. He needs that propaganda. Right. That so, that's in fact, that's, uh, the first time Druss interacts with other people. Right. Uh, he's in a bar and they're all talking about the war and the bar is full of, uh, they're all deserters. They're all deserters. And he's leaning up against the bar, and he's like, you know, Ulrich's a fine general, very smart, very clever, has a very powerful force. And they're like, what, are you some kind of traitor? He's like, no, I respect him. Are you a soldier? And they're like, "Uh, no, no. Are you a deserter then? Uh, No. (laughs) And at this point, he's been out of the game so long, nobody recognizes him right away. Right. Which... that was cool. Well, he's an old man, right? He's an old. He's an old guy. He's a he's big cri- guy. He's a big old man who's got crippling arthritis. Right. He went in a limp because he's got right. a bad knee too. Yeah. And you know he ends up like picking a fight, and he's like, "Look, I don't want to have to kill anybody. You know, just set me to a task, and I'll, I'll, you know, prove my worth that way." Right. And he does. He gets into a few scrapes. Yeah. Along the way. As as he's uh, heading towards the fortress, I, I like how he uh, we wrestled that guy and just picked him up and threw him. And like, okay, that's enough for me. Yep. And then the guy's like, uh uh-uh. uh, and he draws his sword and he's like, I don't want to do this guy. Yeah, I don't want to do this. And he's like, ah, I'm gonna kill you, old man. Uh, axe through the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then everybody figures out it's him. It's Dross. Dude, and the and the best thing was after he killed that guy was you know he would have liked to meet you. Dress was his hero. Well, he got to meet him. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a thing about this book. 
is it what it's not bad but it's not good right it's 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 kind of it's kind of on the cheesy side there's there's a bit more humor than you would expect um yeah, but it's definitely but it's dry humor yes very it, very british humor it's very dry um the things a lot that, of gallows humor the things because, oh go ahead no, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. i was gonna say it's very dry and gallows humor as all of these men are certain they're gonna die yeah yeah and and the, there's a couple of the cool things about this book because i don't want to sound like i'm like completely hated it because i didn't right well it's, um it was written like the actual words and syntax and all that crap it was written well um it's very easy to read it mm -hmm. you could just scan through it and it flows which you don't get a lot even someone like um howard or or smith who are famous for fantasy uh get get a little wordy mm -hmm. uh, but not this this definitely has like um it's it, almost like um uh, the way that i know you're gonna hate me for saying this but almost uh reminded me a little bit of how stephen king's um prose flow mm -hmm. um it's just you know it's not it's not difficult to read which is right. you know which is cool uh, the other thing i liked is he had a you had this sense of doom that pervades over everything. And even when they, they do get these little small victories, um, they have there. just enough time to like, to relish it until they, Oh yeah, we're all going to die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And even, even the, the way the fortress is designed is what there are 11 walls, uh, six walls. Okay. There's six walls, and they're all named for the attitude of the soldiers once they reach that wall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like, oh, yeah, well, the second wall is called blah, 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 because, you know, you gave up the first wall so you can retreat to the to the second wall so you can just pick them off while they're running um, right. off the killing floor. And then by the time you get to the last wall, which is called something like despair or death, it's because when you get to this wall, the last wall before the keep, you know you're fucked. Right. The the sixth wall is, is death. It's Geddon. Yeah. So so even and like the whole everything about this place is just down. It's it and so every every time you get like this little you know, you, you repel three attacks um of, of hordes and hordes of people and you lost a a, fr a small fraction of your force and they lost uh what amounts to be a small fraction, which is, but three times as many of you, they lost a small fraction, even though it's like three to one, mm -hmm. their, their numbers are 20 to one. So it's like a drop in the bucket. Um, you know, your food is only going to last so long because you're in a siege situation. There's no supply lines because everybody's leaving the city. Right. And it just, he does that really well. And you had mentioned um, earlier in the show that, he wrote it when he thought he had cancer mm -hmm. and you could definitely tell that um, a lot of this is an analog for just how he was dealing with like the knowledge of his own demise. Yeah. <clears throat> very, very much uh, that, that sense of mortality just kind of pervades everything. Even Druss the legend is, you know, he, he's already, starting to come to terms with his own morality up on the mountain and he's like if i go i'm going to die 
Right. But, but like in the same breath, he says, I've courted death my entire life. Mm-hmm. I've mocked death. And I, I figure that when I go, it's going to be like that. Right. I want to, I, I want to choose my death rather than just wasting away. Right. And, and every, everything's like that. Um, for me, it got a little bit much, especially, I think he wrote himself into a corner mm-hmm. at the end. Right. It, it took not one, but two or three deus ex machinas to get him out of the predicament that, that right. ended up happening at the end. Right. Well, we have, we have fate uh, coming into play with, with Rex's character. And turns out that Rex had a really important destiny that he was completely oblivious of. Right. And that is that he was due to be, he was destined to be the Earl of Bronze. Right. And, and we, we kind of knew that in the beginning because there was the prophecy. Right. Um, but honestly, the prophecy isn't alluded to a lot. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of fantasy literature that deals in prophecy, that's all you hear about. Look at Harry Potter. Seven mm-hmm. books and all you hear about is that fucking prophecy. None right. can live while the other survives. And, and th- the whole series is built around that. And you are not allowed to forget that because it's central to the plot. Right. The boy um, who lived. Right. And in this, it's just like it's mentioned at the beginning and he might talk about it once or twice somewhere in the middle. But really, it, it's it, it doesn't come into play until he becomes the Earl of Bronze. And he goes, oh, that's what the prophecy was about. Right. And, and, and the Earl like, of Bronze. Oh, there was a prophecy back there. <laughs> right. And the Earl of Bronze, of course, being um, this kind of legendary title, you know, passed down and kind of a kind of one of those like almost a savior kind of figure, I guess. And that, you know, the Earl of Bronze comes when he's needed. Right. That kind of reminded me of um, of the Hawk, Hawk Moon story. Mm-hmm. Um, series from Michael Moorcock. Right. Well, I mean, this was 1985, and Gimmel appears to be very (laughs) well versed in all of the standard tropes. Yeah, and and I'll tell you that that's uh, that's probably around the same time that I actually read Hawk Moon Mm -hmm. is is right around this time, so there you go. Right. Now, Druss goes to the fortress and talks with the Earl. The Earl is dying. Yeah, the Earl has cancer. He's right. dying of cancer. He's dying of cancer. Earl uh, Druss, you know, says, "Well, you know, he's like, I want you to take over my job. I want you to. I'm going to name you the Earl, or acting Earl, or whatever." And he's like, "No, I can't do that. I'm a soldier." And he's like, "Well, you know, we'll come up with something because you know these guys really need to get into shape because we're all we're going to die a lot faster." <laughs> right. And really their goal is just initially it's to last until their reinforcements could come. Right. Um, and that eventually becomes last as long as we can. Because right. it just becomes a matter of pride and principle. Uh, because like like I said before, there's this pervading doom that they're fucked mm-hmm. and it's gonna happen. It's just a question of when. And right. they just want to hold out for as long as they can mm-hmm. um until until the inevitable happens. Right. And so you have probably a good quarter of the book being a, a training montage where Druss goes through and he changes things up in the camp. Um, you know, orders that, you know, the town. Yep. Simply between walls that. one, two, and three, just tear it down. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he does, he, he, he starts making the soldiers um, actually do useful exercises. Uh, he, he starts ripping down stuff to, to, so that the fortress functions the way it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in doing all this, he actually brings the confidence of, of the fort um, back to, or he, he, he brings um, Oren's confidence or confidence in himself, but also the, his, the men's confidence in Oren up. Mm-hmm. Um, Oren becomes a leader in actuality rather than in name. Right. He's out there. He starts training with the men, yeah. uh, running, running with them to get into better shape for fighting. Um, and he's like, well, you know, I can't, I'm supposed to, he, he realizes that through Druss, Druss does exactly what the Earl expected him to. He goes in, doesn't, not that he took over and starts training everybody, but his presence and his attitude just kind of inspires greatness out of everyone there. Including Oren, and Oren decides that you know he's the commander of the of the fort, and that his duty is not to be in the office doing paperwork or inspecting the shininess of people's armor. That in this situation, his responsibility is to be out there on the wall with the rest of the men. Right, and and he, he's a good swordsman. Mm-hmm. That's um that's won a, won a tournament while they were training. Yeah, and he wasn't wasn't allowed to win right he he won on his own accord mm-hmm. so yeah and you, that's like the first half of this book literally is people getting to the fort and then making the fort become like a functioning fort right and by the time uh wreck virai the earl's daughter and the 30 get there dress has already pretty much whipped this place into shape right we've had two attempts on his life mm-hmm Right, two attempts on his life. Um, oh, and by the way, Druss decided to recruit six hundred archers on his way in. Bandit archers, right? Outlaw archers. You know, promising pardons and and things like that. You know, but we'll only go up to the third wall. After the third wall, we're out. Right. So yeah, he basically. Like, well, brings- by the time when they get to the third wall, I ain't gonna need you. No, he he basically brings Robin Hood and his merry men mm-hmm. and. Bowman and funny, you know, Bowman, the archer. Yeah, that was definitely worth an eye roll. (laughs) (laughs) Now he, now Bowman is actually a gentleman rogue. Yes, he is very much a gentleman rogue. But he's definitely one of the larger than life characters. Oh, he is definitely, he he is so, you, you get your standard party, you know, forming while this is here. Because all of these characters do end up fighting side by side. Yes. Over the course of, of the book, you have you have Wreck, who is your kind of uh, fallen paladin of sorts, really, when it comes down to it. Um, right. He, he, you know, he spends a lot of his time fighting right next to Druss. Right. And, you know, Bowman is the gentleman rogue, and he's got everything there. And he's always ready with a snappy remark or let's go drink some wine or, you know, stuff like that. Yes. Um, I see the role of Bowman as um, a 1940s Cary Grant. Yes. So to kind of give you that, that very, very much so. He's he's very laid back, but he's also he's also he's jovial. But yeah, he's he's very polite and stuff like that. And yeah, I I liked Bowman as a character. 
I like to draw. I, I really all the main characters I like. You know, they, yeah. you know, this was one of those books where you have likable characters. Like I said before, I even liked Ulrich. Yeah, you know, he was he was an impressive guy. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't written poorly. He he wasn't like <laughs> right. And unlike unlike a lot of fantasy novels, particularly with a siege where you have this horde, you know the the horde the, is villainous. Right. The Nadir are not um, presented as monsters. Well, their leaders aren't. Right. Well, even even they're they're portrayed as as vicious fighters, but you know, other than some of the other the Drenai soldiers talking, you know, you can tell that they're just kind of there to do their job and they're doing their job. And yeah, you have all kinds, but you have really vicious, horrible people in the Drenai ranks as well. That's true. So it's not like you know the evil race coming to you know just destroy everything. All he wants to do is just take over more land and be king. That's it. That's all I want. Yep. And and really his um you know the way he he goes about doing it is is very Mongolian. Uh they have normally they're warring tribes. Mm-hmm. And uh he is able and and their their thing is they will fight to the death to protect their own clan. Right. But everyone else can go fuck themselves. So he he basically just makes them all into a big clan. Right. Like he makes them into like a, a meta clan. Exactly what uh, Genghis did. Right. And that, and that's how they, they, that's how they're able to, to fight together and to, to gel because now they are truly one people. Mm-hmm. And the, unfortunately the Drenai are not of the clan and uh, fuck them. <laughs> right. So the, you're right. They're not an evil horde who are just bent on destroying civilization because it's civilization uh, the way you have a lot of quote unquote barbarians um, represented in, in fantasy literature. Right. And in popular culture. Even, even Druss in one of his, one of his interactions with Ulrich pretty much straight up, straight up tells him, he's like, man, I would have loved to fight with you. Yeah, so I would. I would. If things had turned out different, I'd be under your banner right now, buddy. Yeah, and and the 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 actual siege, um, which takes up half of the book, mm-hmm. isn't boring. No, uh, because you have things. There's there's Gimmel writes very good battle scenes. He writes good battle scenes, but there's also stuff happening. He set mm-hmm. it up so you have um, the different walls. And he, he basically describes um, what what the, the situation is that causes the retreat to the, the next wall. Mm-hmm. So, so you get, like, these highlights, and he'll gloss over, yeah, they repelled three um, attacks that day, mm-hmm. but he will describe the one that matters. Right. And then describe the situation of, the, uh, of what's going on in the fort, what's going on outside of the fort, mm-hmm. to... to hold your interest right while while you're reading what could what in in a lot of people would just be either glossed over completely or just uh, really boring honestly right so it's 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 a it's not one long battle scene it's peppered with things that happen plus you also have the the 30 there who are able to like you know do their psionic thing so you get perspective of different 
of different characters and um, kind of a an overarching a narrative of what's going on mm-hmm. because of that. And they're they're also and there's lots of heart to heart moments, of course, because you know everybody's there to die. Yes, and, you know, and you find out why everybody's there. Right. Uh, even even Kaisar, the the female archer, you know, we find out you know what it is with her. Yeah, she's a serial killer. Yeah, essentially. But she takes a shine to dress. Right. But not not in the not in the typical way. No, no. Um she sees dress as she lost her 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 parents when she was mm-hmm. young. And uh she sees dress as someone who I guess could have prevented that from happening. Right. She sees him. At first she's like I don't know what anybody sees in this guy. Oh, cuz he's a protector. I mean, when when you come down to it, Dress is, that's what he is. He is a protector. Mm-hmm. And and if she had a protector she, when um, her her farm was raided when she was a girl, uh, her parents would not have died. And her right. mother would not have been violated. And she wouldn't have had to go off to live in medieval foster care. Right. Which it was just terrible. Right. And all of the men start looking up to Druss as this kind of father figure. Yeah, I mean, that's what he, that's why the Earl wanted him there. And that's why Mm he, 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 you know, that was his function was to bring morale up because of who he is. Right. And really, it's just his mere presence. Right. But, but there's also kind of the, the, the conflict between Druss the legend and Druss the man. Yeah. And as we go through the people of the fort, you know, at first are enamored by Drust the Legend, and then those who are, you know, in close proximity to him get more uh, of Drust the Man. Right. And that inspires them even more. But then again, you know, one of the things about Drust is he's he's 60 years old. He's well past his prime, but he is out there on the wall. Every day doing the work. Of, even when he's not supposed to be. Even when he's not supposed to be. And see, that's like one of the things that kind of pissed me off. I guess not pissed me off is a little a little uh, harsh. But, you know, he was told um, you can fight, but then you have to spend at least three days down or you're going to die. But he didn't. And nothing really bad happened to him because he you know, decided to continue fighting, you know, okay. Maybe he was tired and started sleeping on the battlement instead of going back to his room. But really there were no consequences for his actions. He like got on through sheer will and determination and by gum it worked. Yes. And then, yeah, that was very much a macho stereotype. Yeah. It's just kind of cheap, Um, you know, because there should have been consequences. Right. Well, I mean, he did start slowing down. Yeah, but I mean, the first battle, you know, it's like, you know, he was 30 years younger. You know, the second battle, you know, he gets a couple of nicks on him. You know, the third big battle he's in, you know, he starts getting fucked up a little bit more. And, you know, slowly he, 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 the, the, his age starts catching up with him. Yeah, but it really didn't matter. But it's not much of a, right. It's not much of a, um, consequence yeah the only the only consequence that happened to him was he was felled by a poisoned blade right when when he was tired because he was slowing down 
But if had the blade not been poisoned, he would have just been out. He was for crying out like he was out there the next day to die. Yes. But yes. he still, you know, went out there the next day. Yay, hooray, dress. But it it just kind of I it didn't mean anything. It, it all like you said, it's just a big macho thing, but it really just in terms of the story and the character, it didn't mean anything because he did whatever he wanted and there was no consequences at all. Right. Well, I mean, he was really only in that story to die. No, that's definitely true, but they could have, like, drawn it out and made it, like, that, you know, he had to be in in bedridden for a length of time because he couldn't move. Mm -hmm. You know, why? I guess you just say, oh, wow, what a great guy. I mean, he's, like, should be dead and he's still going on. But that's... Right, well, Druss's death, you know, you have that. The doctors is like, I don't know how he's even standing. Yeah, but it, he should have been dead like hours ago. But just because he was going on and on and on like that throughout the entire story, it didn't have as much of an impact. Right. Because he never like he never. Right. The, 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 the doctor is always like, you shouldn't be out there. Yeah. I mean, the guy's fucking Dr. McCoy. Right. You shouldn't be out there. Shouldn't be out there. Yeah. Go to hell with you. Yeah. <laughs> but but like Dress's character never fell below a point and then rose back up Mm -hmm. do you know what i'm saying yeah like he never had to like actually pull himself out of a hole Uh, he just like steadily just kept on going and it just yeah okay the effort it took to keep on going was fantastic and he had to dig deep and just to do it but that's kind of what his character was he really he never changed no he didn't change he like everyone else had epiphanies and became better people and he just was dressed the entire time and he never really had to fight for anything because you because of who he is you knew he was going to die in a spectacular way right and it, it the path towards that death just wasn't very spectacular it was just right. now plodding on digging deep now just to just to talk about that for a second you know the book is called legend but you know Putting it that way, it's not so much really about Druss. Druss is kind of like a catalyst, almost a plot device. He's the NPC. Yeah, Druss is definitely not the... He is a legend, but he is not the titular legend. Right. The The, titular legend is the book itself and what happens to everyone else who who survives Druss than I. Right. I I would say that, um, you know, Wreck, there's a better argument for Wreck being the legend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, I would say, I would say, yeah, that this is really Rex's moment to shine, Oren's moment to shine. You know, everyone, everyone who made it to that sixth wall. Yeah, I mean, these are the people who made it happen. These are the people who really dug deep because, like, Oren went from being a popinjay to being an effective warrior, mm-hmm. and and Rex went from being uh, a coward. Yeah, basically a coward to a leader, like an effective leader. Mm-hmm. And he was just as inspiring as Druss was. Yeah. And possibly more so. And, and even the way the 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 30, how their hierarchy is set up, um, kind of reflects this as well. Um, the, the leader of the of the battle 30 mm-hmm. isn't the abbot, like right. you think it would be, but it's actually the uh priest who understands the purpose of the 30 the least, who has right. the most room to grow. Right. He, and he is just told, you're the leader. 
Yeah, and he's like, why am I the leader? I can't lead you. He's like, yes, you can, because you will. <laughs> and and it's kind of, I mean, that is one of the reasons why you read fantasy literature. Isn't to see the old war horse get up and dig deep and dig in and do it because you know he's going to do it. It's to see the little guys and gals mm-hmm. who who start off with flaws. Um, you know, people like Rick or Frodo or Sam, you know? Right, the unexpected guy. Right, who, who you know, find it within themselves to change and rise to the occasion mm-hmm. as, a, as opposed to who, who just are. Like Conan, Conan's great, but really Conan isn't a fascinating character beyond that he can do a lot of cool shit. And right. because he, he, I mean, he, he never changes. He's always Conan. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's that aspect, you know, and Dross is very much a Conan like character. Oh yeah. Oh you know, yeah. He, he is the, the great tradition of fantasy heroes. Yeah, he's King Conan. But, you know, on the one hand, yeah, you do kind of want to see that sort of stuff. You, know, you want to see the badass, And I think, you know, Gemmel pulls a little switcheroo because he leads you to believe that, you know, this story is going to focus on Druss. Right. And and he's not, he's going to be the typical fantasy hero. But then really this, the story itself is about wreck. Right. Growing yeah. from being a coward and a, and then, you know, self-centered bastard to being, you know, you know the leader of men. Yeah. Now that being said, the way this thing ends mm. really disappointed me, and I'm not. And it not, was kind of strange. And uh, I think I think you're right. I think he had painted himself into a bit of a corner because you know there was just by the time they got to the sixth wall. Yeah, I mean they were crawling, they were going to go all the way to the sixth wall. Yeah, and they, they were like beat to shit, crawling on their lips <laughs> to get into battle. The 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 uh, nadir still had tons and tons of of people to throw at them. They had like what. Like five hundred people, mm-hmm. it, it was pretty bad. And then you just get a series of just Deus ex machinas that fix everything. Just right, boom, boom, boom. Ulrich's uh, son tries to throw, tries a coup back in back in the homeland. Yeah, so they just leave. But before that, uh, you had the archers, or not the archers, the bandits from way back when mm-hmm. uh, that Wreck had befriended show up. At, at the 11th hour. Right. 6,000 of them. Yeah. So they're able to hold. One more day. Right. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, then the, 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 the brother or the nephew of Ulrich um, decides to throw a coup. So he has to pack them and leave and go and deal with his, his own house. Right. And then um, the final yeah. battle. And, yeah, I, and, and everyone I mean, is spread too thin. And... They're like, we can't hold this tunnel. We can't hold the tunnel. They're all about to die. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That fucking tunnel. And then the <laughs> ghosts of everyone who died over the course of the novel show up <laughs> to spook the superstitious barbarians. Right. The, led by the ghost of Druss. Right. Yeah. Like, there's no ghosts anywhere in this. That's, that's the White City, man. Yeah. There's no ghosts anywhere in this book until, you know, right. that. Even even in the Lord of the Rings, when Aragorn went through the paths of doom or whatever they're called, and brings the the ghosts with him to fight at Manus Tirith, 
at least there's like some lore. Right. <laughs> and some explanation going on. It is a Deus Ex Machina, but it, it's well done. Right. This is just like, what the hell? Then there's ghosts. Right. See, and, and really, that was all the, it was there for was to get all of the surviving characters together. Right. And then, and then so you, had, you had all the surviving characters massed together on the wall and the, the hordes of the unwashed are coming in to, to finish them off. And then the horn blows. And they right. all stop, pack up the things and go. Yeah. Right before they're about to, to five more minutes, five more minutes and they would have taken, taken the fort. Mm-hmm. But nope, they just, they go. I'll see you in the, in the fall. We'll do this again. Yep. And literally, he said that. It's true. And then the final one is uh so what's her name? I forgot her name. Virai. Virai um dies um a few chapters before all this happens and it really it, it wrecks wreck. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually probably one of the more emotional moments of the book. Yeah, it is. And uh, cuz he really loves her and mm-hmm. uh, he keeps on having visions. Well, guess what? She's not really dead. She was Saved by the 30 and put into suspended animation that only Wreck can bring her out of, which he does. So at the end of the book, even his great loss, the thing that consolidates his will and and has him keeping on because he has to fight to the end now for her, that's a race as well. Because, oh, she's alive. You, you, right. get, your, you get your happy ending for him. As, um, you know, he fought so hard. He might as well get rewarded. Right. And that was kind of cheap as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess as a final note, we probably should have brought this up at the very beginning, but Gemmel is not very good with his female character. No, he's not. Um, We have two major female characters in the book. Uh, We have Virai. Who's mannish until she falls in love. Right. Then she becomes very feminine. Right. And then, you know, she's, she's warrior woman. Up until the point where Wreck uh, marries her, and then Wreck marries her, but she fights on the wall a couple times, right? But no, but I mean, she is the true daughter of the Earl, right? And uh, he just marries her, and then he's the Earl, and that, your opinion means nothing, pretty much. <laughs> and she's even, though, even though he constantly says, you know, I can't talk her into doing anything she doesn't want to do, she just seems to want to do everything he wants to do. Right. Yeah. And and we have Kaisar who comes in and she is the best archer of Bowman's group. Right. But she's broken. She's a serial killer. Right. And she fights in one battle and then she's a nurse for the rest of the book. Yeah. A serial killer. And a serial killer nurse who has a fascination with Druss. Right. And she, it's really interesting because in, in that respect, because she has a psychotic break. Yeah. Oh, and, oh. And we didn't mention she's also a lesbian. Yeah. Because, you know, you either are mannish or a lesbian if you're a good fighter. Apparently. And, you know, of course, that gives Bowman plenty of opportunity. Bowman is a seriously sexist character. Yes, but Bowman Bowman knows that if if you sleep with her and you're a man, she's going to cut your throat. Right. He knows this. He knows the secret. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So, but but she ends up she ends up going from you know the best archer on the team to being Dress's personal nurse and masseuse. 
Yeah, it's she becomes Wonder Woman in the Justice League. Right. And that is weird. But she I'll does have a psychotic guys, break. I'll make you guys coffee. Yeah, I'll make you guys coffee. I'll give Dress a massage. You know, it's no big deal. You know, I, and very little of her motivations after that. Uh, even Virai is stuck becoming a nurse before she dies. Yeah. But she, she falls in battle. Right. On accident. Yeah, uh, the guy was trying to kill Wreck. Mm-hmm. And Wreck, being being of a you know living a blessed life, he has he's a charmed life. You know the arrow misses him. Well, he grazed him and hit her. Right, grazed his forearm and hit her right. while he was preserved. So he didn't even get to see any of this happen because he was like in a rage. Right, he wasn't able to do anything about it, and that's part of the emotional tie for him is that. He was berserk at right. the time, and you know he there was he felt helpless. Right, couldn't do anything about it. Which, which, like you said in the beginning, uh, that may have been why he quit uh, being a soldier in the first place. Right, because he knew war was coming, and he didn't want to be that guy. Right, but it turned out he finally accepted it. Right, but yeah, the women, and I hear that it's a regular thing in Gimel's books that the women start off strong and they just kind of fade into the background. Hmm. And become motivations for the male characters, right? Which is kind of funny. Which is kind of sad because Virai and Rec had some of the best dialogue. Yeah, they in, did in the book because they are they were very they were opposites throughout the whole thing. You, mm-hmm. you know, she was very duty, 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 and he's very, uh, you know, maybe we can take a back seat to duty if it saves our lives, right? <laughs> He was willing to hop in the sack with her when she was willing to go and uh, do what needed to be done. Right. And yeah, that those roles kind of reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that that is unfortunate. And um, I haven't read any any other of his other uh, books, mm-hmm. so I'll I'll defer to you. But that being said, uh, this is his first book. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot. I don't know if any of of my criticisms uh, are valid after this point. You can only assume that he gets better as a writer. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, we'll uh, skip ahead a few books and go into Waylander at some point. As as he, uh, you know, he, he was a fairly popular writer, right? Uh, not so much in America. But no, but in... in, in but but overall, yeah, he's, he's, he's in, you know, considered the rest to be one of, the, one of the greats. The rest of the world. Right, right. Like I couldn't even find a physical copy of this book really? on the shelf at like Barnes and Noble or anything like that. Yeah, but Barnes and Noble's not really a, a good barometer. Well, I don't think I could find one on Amazon either, unless I started getting like used copies. So it's like it's out of print. Um, the, the, Audible does have a the Audible does have a pretty good. Uh, I was going to say there is a there's a um, audio audiobook of this. Mm-hmm. That was up on iTunes, but I was considering it. But it is way expensive for a book that I'm probably not going to read again. We had an Audible credit, so ah. we, we downloaded the uh, because my wife wanted to read it as well. So I said, "Okay, we'll we'll do this. You have a free credit on Audible. Audible is not a sponsor of Microphone of Madness. No, nope. neither, um, neither is iTunes. Neither is iTunes. Both are welcome to become sponsors if they. That's right." And so we listened, we listened to the audiobook over the course of the week. And I, I will say that whoever, whoever they got to read it, I can't remember. His dress voice was perfect. 
<laughs> he he had it was so great because he his dress was exactly as I envisioned it in my head. It's all uh, uh, kind of Wolverine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say when I read dress, I'm picturing old man Logan. Yeah. So overall, would you recommend this? Um, if you like fantasy, I would say yes. Um, if you are someone who is thinking about getting into fantasy, um, I'd say start with something else. Right. But, you know, if suddenly you get a hankering to read something that's kind of gritty, kind of grim, and, and deals with the tension of a siege, you know, rather than all the walking around of a lot of fantasy books. That is true. There's definitely no walking. More Iliad than Odyssey. Yes. Um, I, I would say, yeah, I would recommend this one to folks. But, you know, be warned that it is 1986. And it does contain some of the more problematic elements of fantasy uh, that we're just now getting to a point where we're getting over. Right. At least it doesn't have like um, monolithic races. No. That are like motivated by one one thing. Right. Orcs are evil. Right. Is that uh, the? Is there you, are no good and evil. It's all gray. You don't have that clearly defined um, sense of right, wrong, good, and evil. Mm. Uh, you have the motivations of your main characters, which you know they're on screen for a lot of the time, so you sympathize with them and and their motivate motivations become yours you don't want the fortress to fall um, that's part of the tension you know is you don't want it to happen but you know it's going to happen um and then again when when the when the motivations in mind of ulrich um are exposed you realize well you, yeah it opposes them but it's not bad for being bad where you get a lot of that in uh well that's all token is about is evil people are evil because they're evil mm -hmm. and you get that in conan or in robert e howard you know um you'll have um the evil sorcerer from from uh kush or stygia stygia yeah and he's evil because he's stygian right and he's a sorcerer <laughs> right but mostly because he's stygian <laughs> yeah and, and so there's definitely clearly defined good and evil there mm -hmm. uh, there's, I guess you can make an argument saying that, well, that's only from Conan's perspective. But that's all you get. Right. Is Conan's perspective. And in this, he, you know, you bounce, he bounces around enough that um, you, you don't get that sense that we're repelling this great evil force and it has to be done because they're evil. We're repelling this great evil force and it has to be done because they're our political enemy. And there's, you know, there's, diff there's a difference between that. Yeah, we kind of like being the Drenai Empire. Right, exactly. And and they even, I mean, they even say, it, it is a traitor who says it, um, that you know, for, for the common person, the difference between Drenai or um, Nadir is going to be nothing. Right. You're still going to wake up in the morning and milk the cows. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. Uh, I believe even Ulrich makes that point. Mm-hmm. And it's a fair point. And, and even Druss makes that point that, you know, it's, you know, regardless to how this outcome, you know, how this turns out, you know, at some point, it's not going to be any different. Yeah, it's a fair point. Um, as long as that holds true. Uh, does that happen in the real world? No. No. Uh, conquered nations are ho horribly treated. Right. But in, in this fantasy world, 
um, you could, you, I could believe that um, Ulrich being in charge as opposed to um, Emperor Huzi-Wuzi. Abilene. Abilene, it'll be, it'll be six of one, half a dozen of the other. Because they, right. you know, they've got bigger fish to fry. Right. Because, because, you know, in this type of fantasy world, you know, existence takes precedent. You still got to get up in the morning and hoe the field and right. stuff like that. And it doesn't matter who sits on the throne as right. long as you're paying your taxes to the guy who comes around no matter what. Right. Exactly. And that's that's all Ulrich wanted. He's, he wanted to be the guy you pay your taxes to. Yep. And that's it. And that does it for Legend. Uh, next week, we will be off because recording day falls on Mother's Day. Happy so Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day. To all your mothers. That's right. Uh, we'll be skipping that. And the following week, we will be talking the Almanac of Dust by Farrah Rose Smith. Yes. So that will be that will be another interesting book. We'll be delving back into the weird. Yes. All right. So until next time, keep 30 luck points.